Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Trey. Stephanie is going to be back. I'm excited about that. We've got to start doing it, and she was supposed to be back today, but um, but had work come up. And anyway, it's going to happen, and uh, I know that'll be good uh, for all of us. But let's begin with our prayer before we get started. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Pope St. John Paul II, pray for us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, we're so excited today about uh, about our guest. Um, we're we're going to bring him on here in a second um, to talk about parenthood, and he's a scripture scholar. More importantly, probably than that, he's a dad and a husband, mm-hmm. um, but we are really excited to hear what he's got to say about Sirach. One of my favorites, actually, and uh, and his take on on parenthood and on uh, honoring parents. So, all you parents that are out there listening, please uh, feel free to call in if you if you would like. Otherwise, you can text in. But um, right now, I'd just like to introduce uh, Mark Mark Giescheck, mm-hmm. uh and l- allow him to say hi and introduce himself. But Mark, you there? Yes, I am, Trey. It's great to be with you today. Yeah, thank you. We're glad you made time. Thank you so much. So tell, tell us a little bit about, about you and, and uh, your background and where you are, and um, just so that people know about you. Sure, sure. So I teach at a uh, master's degree program in Catholic theology uh, sponsored by the Augustine Institute in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we've been operating since 2005, just achieved full accreditation last year. Right Right now we have about 400 students at the master's level, uh, many of whom come to us over the Internet through Distance Ed. Wow. Uh, We also have an on-campus program here in Denver. And uh, beyond that, we do a lot of media production nowadays. So if you know Lighthouse Catholic Media, sponsors those little kiosks at the back of a lot of Catholic parishes, so the Augustine Institute owns all of those now, and so we're oh, wow. putting out you know talks on CD and DVD and pamphlets and books, uh, you know, right into the back of every Catholic parish in the United States, and we have a um, an online video platform called Formed.org that's kind of like Catholic Netflix or something. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Programs that you know uh, have to do with um, Catholic teaching on various topics, 
and that include you know programs for uh, say baptism prep or for RCIA, we put those out on formed, and then parishes can sign up and watch and watch those or use them for some of their catechetical programs uh, as part of the parish life. Mark, this is Thaddeus. It's it's also not like Catholic Netflix because what's the great way that people are able to have access to to formed? They just need a yeah, code yeah. from their parish, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So you can sign up as an individual subscriber, but if your parish is a subscriber, then you can use your parish's code to access all the material that's available there. And, you know, a lot of it, like I said, is, you know, geared toward, uh, you know, like a small group style program. Mm -hmm. But some of it, you know, we actually have some movies up there from Ignatius Press and, you know, some programs that you could just watch on your own and really learn a lot from without having to do it in a, in a small group setting. So are you on there? Have you have you made your debut on on Formjet? <laughs> yeah, I'm on uh, several of the programs now, but you know, just one voice among many. So I don't have my own TV show or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> and and who are some of your colleagues there at the Augustine Institute? Some of those are are, yes. are names who people probably recognize, right? Right. So our president is Tim Gray. He's a scripture scholar like me, and he's done quite a few programs for us on, on Formed. Uh, and then uh, Ted Sree, or Ed Edward right. Sree, is, he's usually known in print. He's written many books, and he's the host of several of our programs. Uh, so uh, we have, I have many other colleagues. In fact, our, our, uh, our faculty just increased this summer. Uh, uh, most notably, we hired Michael Barber, who's another oh, wow. scholar, yeah. New wow. Testament scholar. And uh, I'm sure you'll see him on form.org uh, pretty soon. <laughs> Fantastic. That is so great. It sounds, I mean, amazing how much has happened in well, just 12, 12 years, I guess, since yes, it no, started. I, I tell people that when I first walked in the door seven years ago, there were six employees. Wow. And now there are over 100 employees and over 400 students. So it's, uh, it's really a beautiful um, ministry to be part of, and it's, it's just wonderful, wonderful to be part of something that's growing and thriving uh, in this day and age. Well, I, won't do, I won't say much more, but I mentioned the fact that, that uh, Douglas Bushman and Tim Herman were both professors of mine, and so I'm, but right. now that they're with you, with, with you, I'm even more hooked because I, I, I love those guys. But I digress. Um, <laughs> so tell us, tell us about your, your family. Um, sure, sure. So uh, let's see, my wife and I got married in 2009. Uh, her name's Colleen, and she was uh, a missionary with Focus, the Fellowship oh, wow. of Catholic yeah. University students, for about four years. And we met out here in Denver. And, um, uh, and by trade, she's a music teacher and singer. So she sings... Uh, sometimes for our parish, and also in like a like a big band jazz band. Oh, wow. uh, and we have four children: two boys, two girls. Uh, Cecilia is the oldest, five and a half. And David's three and a half. Uh, Adam is two, and then we just had a baby girl named Esther uh, in May, and so she's just about ten weeks old right now. Fantastic! That's about the same distance between. Between we had four pregnancies, but the last one was tr were triplets. So we're <laughs> oh, wow. so we're so we have six, but that's about the exact exact uh, spread, almost yeah. identical uh, mm -hmm. to our to our six. Mm -hmm. But uh, and my wife and I, we have four children as well. Yeah. So so Great. well, good. We yeah, should. So we're learning a lot. We have a long way to go. You know, uh, we're just starting uh, homeschooling kindergarten with our oldest. Oh, fantastic! Uh, next week, so right. we have. A lot going on in our family life, and uh, but it's all good. We, we've really been blessed in many, many ways, and 
uh, have uh, just really enjoyed being parents. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Is mom is mom ready for the first day of school, or is she still pulling the things together for the last? You know, I don't think we've really been ready for any life events over the past <laughs> seven years. So, for you, know, uh, you know, it's just sort of a, a relative state of readiness. Uh-huh. <laughs> so how did you, why did you, how and why did you come to be a scripture scholar? And, and then what drew you particularly to um, your interests that you, that you do have? And, and tell us about what your sure. interests are. Sure. So I grew up in a pretty unusual situation. I grew up in an ecumenical, charismatic community in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, wow. And uh, in the context of that community life, you know, like all the adults in my life had daily prayer times and Bible studies and men's groups and uh, all this kind of thing. And so, you know, I grew up in a very kind of fervent environment uh, and, you know, eventually ended up being part of a youth group and then another youth group and then, you know, many uh, Bible studies and things like this while I was in high school. And so I just sort of developed a love for Scripture in that context. And so I, I went on to study philosophy and theology at Ave Maria College while it was still oh, in Michigan. Yeah. Now it's in Florida. And, um, and through my studies, just grew in my love for Scripture and, and really wanted to pursue that. So I came to the Augustine Institute actually as a student originally. In the and you were a cradle Catholic, Mark. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, did the degree in Scripture and then went on from there to Catholic University uh, for my doctoral studies. So... Uh, I don't know. I've, I've just loved uh, being able to read Scripture, and then being able to read Scripture in the original language makes it that much richer and deeper. Uh, and then I just, you know, want to share that love for Scripture with all the people that I meet, you know, and particularly I feel like a lot of Catholics, they love Jesus and they have a great love for the Eucharist, and they sort of like Scripture, but feel like it's kind of dangerous or scary or that they don't understand it. Or, yes. And I feel like they're not able, in many ways, to, to really reap the spiritual benefits of reading Scripture, because they haven't been sort of taught how to do it, or they haven't been taught Lexio Divina, and, and, and maybe they just, they're just not familiar enough with the Word. And so I, I guess I hope that part of what I can do is help people reap the spiritual benefits that are available in reading Scripture. And uh, so I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to do that. So if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Mark Gieschek from the Augustine Institute. He's a Scripture scholar um, with an interest in parenting in the Old Testament. And we're going to be talking today about Proverbs and Sirach and what they can teach us about imparting uh, wisdom and respect yeah. and honor to our to our children. As you were speaking, you made me think of, of the fact that I don't know if this, I'm not saying that he, that Mark, that you have this uh, same bent, but, but what happened to me was kind of in reverse. We started having kids and then Stephanie and I came to the real stage like, what, we don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> and then we're invited actually into a, a parenting group with, with a bunch of Baptist friends down here. And, um, and then as we started to be challenged in our faith and, and read scripture, I remember the, all of a sudden both of us kind of come to the conclusion, well, man, if, you know, if God has something to say about parenting, then maybe he's got something to say about everything. So I'm kind of one of those late blooming Catholics, but, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. I mean, it, cause it can happen at any moment in your life, you know, it's kind of un- unexpected. And then, you know, once you start kind of getting in and things start opening up, you know, whether it be in the Word or in reading the Catechism or the tradition of the Church, you know, 
all of a sudden, you know, like one thing leads to another, it kind of snowballs. It's uh, that's why it happened with really us for sure. Thing to just encounter the truth, you know, it it is, and then that actually led, you know, we led me to to uh, to go to the Institute for Religious and Pastoral Studies, at University of Dallas, and that's where I where I studied under uh, Mr. Bushman and 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 Mr. Herman. But um, yeah, great. But anyway, so so with regard to this, Sirach is one of my favorites because I I, I was telling. Uh, Thaddeus a while back that my son number three he's now going to be a senior in high school um, for whatever reason was really drawn to Sirac particularly Sirac three <laughs> and literally one day I came home we were homeschooled up up until seventh grade this home. is years ago he pulled years this ago off. yeah no this was back when he was probably five or six um, he had memorized <laughs> the first about fifteen verses of Sirac and oh, uh, wow. Yeah, and I mean, I no, unbeknownst to me, and to this day, I, I've asked him. He can't do the whole fifteen, but if you just give him a few <laughs> starters, starters. Um, interestingly enough, I would I would say probably, and you know, this is all. Everyone said here stays here. But he's probably the most obedient child that I have. But they're all of mine are great. But I, but uh, but he seems to be the most. I, I don't know if there's any connection there. Maybe it's personality. But um, but anyway, I know that Sirac is one of the ones that you've done. So I'd love to hear. You know, we talked about um, about you talking about Sirac's kind of take on parenthood. Um, sure. And so may I just turn it over and let you do the talking now because you're the expert. So. Yeah, well, I mean, the Old Testament, in some ways, is very family-focused, right? Because, uh, you know, the people of Israel is a, is a big family, uh, and, and the way in which people conceive of their identity in the Old Testament is very different from, from our way, right? In the modern world, everybody thinks of themselves as an individual that has individual goals and accomplishments and individual history or past and an individual future, whereas I think you know, for the ancient Israelites, they saw everything in terms of the family, right? That, that my, uh, my history is the history of my father and my grandfather, and my future is the, is the future of my children and my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And so I think that their way of seeing things in this kind of family light gave them a much more kind of robust uh, experience of what it meant to be a family and what it meant to be a parent or what it meant to be a child. Um, and and then beyond that, right? It's, you know, my family is the member of a clan, and my clan is the member of a tribe, and my tribe is the member of a nation. And so there's a, a kind of organic connection between me and my family, and all of these other families that are seeking to serve the Lord. So as part of that culture or system, right? God gives one very clear command in the Ten Commandments: honor your father and mother. And that becomes the kind of like bedrock uh, commandment in terms of how our family relationships relate to our relationship with God, right? And that, that, that our respect and our honor that we show to our father and mother is actually part of the respect and honor that we show to God, right? Mm-hmm. That, that by honoring my father and my mother, I'm honoring the Lord because he's commanded me to do this. But beyond that, Ephesians 6 uh, verse 2 points out that this commandment is the first commandment that also contains a blessing, so it doesn't just say, honor your father and mother. It says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So you're promised, right, right there right. In, the, in the Ten Commandments, you're promised long life uh, in, in the promised land if you honor your father and mother. So I think this is just kind of a beautiful 
like testament to the the power of of the love and respect that we show to our parents that it's not something that is merely um a sort of beneficial sociological instrument right. in our society but but rather it it's part of our obedience to God uh, in honoring them but it's also part of his blessing to us right that when we honor him by honoring our parents he honors our honoring, right? He honors right. our obedience by blessing us. And that's just so beautiful from my perspective. Yeah, and, and, and when you were saying that, it reminded me of kind of our, kind of our theme for our, for, for our show for six plus years of Mystery of Parenthood has been this idea of, of kind of a sacramental view of, of parenthood that we are meant to by our actions and we're, we're asked to be signs of who God is the way we, talk to our kids the way we correct them is meant to be uh, our attempt, albeit feeble, but hopefully grace-filled, uh, to be able to uh, make God present to them. And then in, in return, like you said, it seems like there's a connection there. I don't know what your thoughts are from what you were saying, that that um, that in honoring our parents, we are indeed actually honoring God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And that's what... Sirach 3 is going to expand on for us. I like to think of Sirach as like a commentary almost on the book of Proverbs, right? In Proverbs, you get these short little pithy sayings about various things, but you never really get a kind of continuous thought. Whereas in Sirach, he'll take one thought and stick with it for, you know, 10 or 20 verses. And that's what happens in chapter 3 with this idea of, of honoring our parents. It's really a commentary on the fourth commandment. Um, and it's it's interesting the way that it's structured because it's it goes from uh, a kind of uh, reminder of of the commandment to honor, but then he, he actually says the Lord honored the father above the children mm-hmm. and confirmed the judgment of the mother over her sons. So there's there's a way in which the honor is going multiple directions here, right? The, the child is honoring the father, but God is also honoring the father and mother by giving them authority over the children. Right, right. And then, and then as far as that, the kind of idea of blessing be att- being attached to our honoring of our parents, he says, this is in Sirach chapter 3, 3, whoever honors his father atones for sins, and whoever glorifies his mother is like one who lays up treasure. So these are the same kinds of um, this is the same kind of language that the Bible is going to use to talk about almsgiving, right? So in the book of Tobit, right, if you if you uh, give alms, you're atoning for sin, and it's the same kind of language that Jesus uses in the New Testament mm-hmm. about this idea of laying up treasure in heaven, right? Right. So whoever honors his whoever glorifies his mother is like one who lays up treasure. Yeah. So th- there's a, a kind of uh, immediate connection between our behavior and the way in which God blesses us. And that's, and that's a, I think that's a good thing for parents and, and for kids to understand uh, just that idea of that, you know, behavior results in certain consequences. I mean, that's at the very heart, I guess, yeah. of parenting. Uh, I think too, in, in verse three there, there's something about, there's something there with um, when children show remorse for, uh, wrongdoing against within within the family, if they one way that they can, 
I can say as a parent, you can really see their remorse kind of in action and it being genuine is when they make a firm kind of commitment to, um, to be respectful, to be conscientious, to be obedient after they've been, after either they realize they've done something wrong or they've kind of been called out on it and, and uh, they're asked to, it's, it's the way they come back into the fold. It's the way they make the family whole again uh, after that wrongdoing is, is by doing exactly what Sirach says here, by honoring their father and mother. So there's a, there's a certain, there's an element of common sense here too, and at the same time that there's great wisdom in it. Yeah, and I, I think um, there's a way in which in our relationships with our kids, we can start to think about everything as if it's like a, uh, you know, like the, the justice system, right? <laughs> Where we think about the child who's been disobedient as like the criminal defendant, and then the, the parent as like the judge and the jury and mm-hmm. executioner, you know? Right. And, and there's, there's a way in which we can sort of overplay <laughs> that kind of penal dimension yes. uh, and, and make it too much about uh, law and order and criminal justice. Right. And I, I think that the Bible kind of tugs us in a different direction, right? Away from a kind of merely... Um, uh, restitution or retribution-oriented mentality, and toward this kind of relationship of mutual honoring mm-hmm. and mutual obligation, mm-hmm. mutual giving, and mutual love. Mm-hmm. Right. That that the the reason that a son honors his father is not merely because God said so, and that's it. Right. The reason a son honors his father is because his father has poured himself out in love for him. Right and is and is giving to him and is honoring the child by bringing him up in righteousness. So one of my favorite Old Testament parenthood uh, verses is Proverbs twenty two six. Right. Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So there's a way in which parenthood is like invest, investment, right? When you invest money when you're 20 years old, hopefully by the time you're 75, it's grown you know, by leaps and bounds through the power of compounding interest. And parenthood is supposed to be the same way, right? That if you teach a simple lesson about right and wrong to a three-year-old mm-hmm. and the lesson sticks, it's going to stick with him when he's 13 and when he's 23 and when he's 53. Right, so even long after you're gone and out of the picture, the lesson that you taught lives on in the heart of your son. Right, and I think I think that's really important. We've we've always talked on the show and tried to do with our kids. I mean, we're, our youngest are sixteen the triplets, so we're not done yet, and we certainly aren't experts, <laughs> but we're veterans, I guess. But we we um, we've kind of talked about the fact that it's more of a marathon than it is a sprint. I mean, you have moments right. that add up over time, but uh, the image that we used that I had was, you know, you pitch a penny in every time you're teaching them something and showing them. And over time, it accumulates <laughs> huge yeah. amounts. Uh, but but it's really those pennies. And that can be, you can teach them up in the way that they go, does not mean, just like God's children, <laughs> that they're going to um, always do what they know is right to do. And and so I guess right. that's part of that's part of understanding that just because you've taught it, does not mean that they're necessarily going to live it any more than just because you've learned as a Christian that these are things you should or shouldn't do, that that means that you're necessarily going to do it. You strive for it. And, you know, trying to look for, for mercy um, 
as the other side of this. Yeah, there's some level of, you know, the having to discipline, but then but then the flip side is is they also need to know you're a merciful parent who is who's trying to lead them out. Um, not not just always be saying no. We say we always tried at our house to say we gotta find at least at least even, but hopefully more ways when we say, yes, that's a really good, you're doing really well at this. I'm really proud of you on that to every time that we had to correct them over time. Yes. Well, and, and there's a way in which we go beyond merely governing right. children, right, to actually discipling them. Right? Yes. And, and to living, so the idea, right, of, of a real Christian father and mother is that they're going to be living their lives in such a Christ-like pattern that their children can then imitate mom and dad and therefore imitate Christ, right? Because they're seeing this kind of Christ-like life being lived out before them every day as mom and dad lay their lives down for one another and for the kids, and that then the children start to imitate that pattern. So I, I love the, there's this quote from John Paul II where he talks about this. He talks about how parenthood requires an apprenticeship right. in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, right? Yes. That if, if mom and dad are living a life of self-denial and self-mastery, right, I'm, you know, I, I'm in control of my own, you know, behavior. I'm in control of my own, uh, you know, like time I wake up and time I go to bed and I'm, I'm living a disciplined life, right? Then my children are going to see that in me and then they're going to be empowered to live a disciplined life like me. Uh, similarly, the catechism says parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children. Right. And, and this is so beautiful, right? Because it's not just, it's just, that's not just a negative truth, right? It's not just that if your father is, you know, uh, gambles away all the family's money and lives the life of a, you know, alcoholic and criminal, that all of his children are going to become that way, right? It also has a positive dimension, right? That if, if dad works hard and, and loves his wife and loves the children and, 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 and loves Jesus and, and lives a Christ-like life, that the children are going to have a really good chance of following in his footsteps and doing the exact same thing. And, and so, so then, like from a kind of blessing perspective, we go to Sirach chapter 30, verse 4. Mm-hmm. The father may die, and yet he is not dead, for he has left behind him one like himself. Wow. And that kind of speaks to kind of the image of God, of us being in the image of God as well. I mean, ties back to that link between the relationship between God and, and his creation, his children and, and us to ours in a sense. Yes. I mean, not perfectly, but yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's really beautiful, right? That, that in the old Testament idea of salvation, like your children are like evidence of salvation, right? right. That if, if you've been blessed with children and grandchildren and, and life in the promised land and prosperity on your farm, right, this is a sign of God's blessing for your obedience to his commandments. Now, obviously, this gets a little bit difficult because mere prosperity is not, is not enough, right? That's, that's not really the goal that we're seeking, right? We're seeking prosperity and eternal life, not just here on earth. And so while, you know, the blessings of agriculture or children can have this kind of profound significance. We can't ever lose sight of the goal, which is to see God face to face in heaven, which is the sort of ultimate blessing that we could ever long for. Um, Mark, I have a question to go in a little slightly different direction. Um, sure. Do you find, 
do, do you think many people who maybe are not familiar with with the scriptures, not familiar with Sirach, would be surprised by chapter three, uh, how much emphasis it puts on the child honoring both the father and the mother. There's there's such a wonderful um, integral importance of both parents mm-hmm. to the child fulfilling the fourth commandment and carrying out his his duties. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people look at the Old Testament as very patriarchal. Right, right. right. And, it, you know, and in some ways it is, right? You've got the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and uh, most of the wisdom texts in the Old Testament are couched in kind of patriarchal language, meaning... Uh, father-to-son instruction. So this sure. is how Proverbs works, this is how Sirach works. But you're right that in Sirach chapter 3, there is also an emphasis on the mother. right? And you, you get that as well at the very end of, book, uh, of the book of Proverbs, right? in Proverbs 31, the emphasis on the mother and the wife. And so, so this is, I, I mean, to me it just makes perfect sense, right? that there's a balance of course. Uh, in the way that Scripture talks about uh, fatherhood and motherhood and, and the, the, our our obligation to honor both father and mother, because that's how it's laid down in the initial law, right, in the Ten Commandments, is we're supposed to honor both our father and our mother, and that there are specific blessings attached to that, right, that if we, if we honor our parents, right, then, then God is going to bless us for our obedience. Now, I'm curious, is there any kind of tradition, commentary tradition in the, in the church that sees this as a kind of a type for how Christ would have treated his, you know, St. Joseph and Our Lady? Uh, is there any kind of thinking along those lines that you know of? Yeah, I, uh, well, I, well, I don't have like a specific commentary to quote to you sure, right sure. off the top of my head. I think it's very safe to, to look at something like uh, Sirach chapter 3, verse 4, which is, Whoever glorifies his mother is like one who lays up treasure, mm. and apply that to Christ, mm-hmm. right? So Christ, because he he's not just uh, the Son of God, but he's also the perfect Jew, right? Who perfectly fulfills the old covenant law, right? And so he more perfectly than anybody else honors his father and mother, and and so then by a, by a sort of like just one step removed, right? Because he gives Mary to us as mm-hmm. our mother, our spiritual mother we're able to take Sirach chapter 3, verse 4, and apply that to our devotion to Mary, right? You know, when we pray the rosary, when we honor Mary, when we, um, you know, listen to her words and follow her example, we're honoring our mother, right, and therefore honoring God. Right. Really good. Hey, you know, I was just thinking as I was doing that there might be some uh, non-Catholics that listen to to the show. We hope so. We hope so. we, We hope so. Um. Sure. They they may not be familiar with Sirach, and I don't want to digress too much. But could you, as as a scholar, could you give some background on on how it found itself in the Bible? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So so the book of Sirach comes from around the year two hundred BC. Uh, we think it was written in Palestine, probably in Jerusalem, possibly by a priest uh, uh, or uh, by a. Uh, uh, you know, by a person living in Jerusalem who was participating in the cult of the temple. This is during the Second Temple period, but before the Maccabean Revolt. Mm-hmm. 
And so this text probably gets preserved in the Jewish community in Alexandria. Right. Um, and it was originally written in Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, and then translated into Greek and preserved in Greek for you know, 2,000 years. So really, the, you know, the copies that we have today are preserved in Greek, and yet... Uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls and some of the other lost texts that were rediscovered in the past century or so, uh, we've actually found about, I think it's 40% of the book of Sirach in Hebrew and Aramaic. Oh, wow. There's a kind of beautiful way in which you know, we've recovered some of the sort of original uh, language of the book, uh, even though we only had the Greek copy for so long. And so, so the book of Sirach itself reads a lot like Proverbs, except mm-hmm. like I was saying before, instead of just having these little pithy sayings, he'll take one theme and then develop it for maybe 10 or 15 verses. Um, I would say the most famous section of, of Sirach is at the very end, where he gives a kind of um, hall of fame, if you will, of Old Testament saints, mm-hmm. and kind of retells the story of salvation by, telling, by sort of retelling the story of these great heroes of the Old Testament in a poetic and brief format. Um, so, so the, the book of Sirach, uh, written about 200 BC, gets incorporated into the Jewish canon in the, the Greek Bible, the Septuagint of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, and then gets incorporated into the Christian canon, because the Christian canon uh, originally incorporates the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Um, okay, and then it's really only later that uh, the Jews sort of decide to restrict the canon only to the books preserved in Hebrew and Aramaic. And to exclude the books, in and that decision would have been made well after Christ had been right. I mean, at least yeah, we think it was maybe made around seventy A.D., but okay. it's a little fuzzy as to exactly when that happens because our our earliest complete copy of the Hebrew Old Testament is very late, about ninth century A.D. Oh wow, okay. Well, hey, that, that that's it. So let me ask you a question, and this is a little bit more practical. How would how do you envision? Like, so there's parents listening and how would you envision would you have i mean you with your children would you have them read this would you go through it with them how how would you instill this i mean obviously we would need to know and pray and 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 have us as parents understand um what's true about this requirement this yeah i mean i think you know my children are quite young but I, i guess i hope that as as they get older and learn how to read and so on, that we can do sort of like family Bible study together, right? right? And we can read through some of these passages, and they'll come to a, a you know a better and better understanding of them as they grow up. But I think, I mean, with a passage like Sirach chapter three, I mean, for me, it's all about modeling, right? right? It's about honoring my own parents in a way that's visible to my children, yes, and then you know, living my life in such a way that I'm worthy of my children's honor, right? right? So trying to live my life in a Christ-like way, trying to treat them in a Christ-like way, so that instinctually, right, they're going to honor me, right, uh, yes. rather than dishonor or disrespect me. Uh, but then I think also, you know, kind of along with that is, you know, one of the things that children need to learn, especially younger children, is to consistently respect mom and dad. Right. And I think disrespect for mom and dad is the root of many, many problems in relationships with parents and yep. children. And uh, one of the things that needs to be... So respect for mom and dad needs to be instilled from a very young age. 
right. and disrespect needs to be not tolerated, right? Yeah. And and uh, you know when it, when a child disrespects mom and dad, you know they need that needs to be addressed and and dealt with. Uh, so that they can learn to to be consistent in their respect for mom and dad. And it's not just because mom and dad are on an ego trip, right? No, exactly. And, and want to have their children groveling before them. That's not the point. Well, that goes back to, that, to... Oh, I'm sorry. You finish, you know, Well, Mark. Yeah, okay. So the point is that if they learn to respect mom and dad, then they will learn to respect God. They'll learn to respect their teachers <laughs> and the other elders in their life. They'll learn to respect their boss when they grow up, right. and they'll, they'll learn how to respect other people in general so that they can you know, operate as a virtuous member of our community. Wow, that's great. And that, and that goes back to verse 2 in chapter 3, right? Because it says, yes. For the Lord sets a father in honor over his children and confirms a mother's authority over her son. So children are need to respect their mother and father because that authority has been given to those two individuals by God through right. creating that new life. And there, yeah. so there, it goes back to, again, honoring the father and the mother is about honoring God and the father and the mother are, are doing their duty to God, given the authority that, that they have. Yes. 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 Well, and it, this gets a little bit complicated because you know, sometimes mom and dad might make grave errors in their life that, uh, you know, mean that the children have to seek authority figures elsewhere, right? So, you know, we all know stories of, you know, you know, young men whose fathers, you know, were alcoholics or who were philanderers or whatever, and they ended up finding like a basketball coach or something that they could really put their trust in. So there are kind of exceptions to the rule here as far as exactly how this works. Um, and beyond that, even in this chapter, it discusses the possibility of, you know, when you're older and your father is, you know, got Alzheimer's disease or whatever, and he's not totally on his game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in um, uh, verse, 13. verse 12 and 13. Yeah. It says, you know, show indulgence to him. So, mm-hmm. so meaning even though you might not be able to do everything he says because it's maybe not, you know, based in reality or whatever, still honor and show indulgence and be forgiving and loving toward him uh, in his old age and in, you know, uh, in the difficulties he's having with his body or his mind. Um, so trying to kind of connect that back to what we were talking about before, uh, I, I think that what we're seeing here is a kind of pattern of mutual respect, right? That, uh, that God respects the authority of father and mother, and grants that authority. And then it's the duty of the children, right, to honor and respect that God-given authority that mom and dad have over their children. But then it's the duty of mom and dad to respect one another and to respect their children, right? And, and so how do, we, how do we show that respect toward children? Well, we do what the Bible says, right, and train them in righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. We teach them, we educate them, uh, and, and we care for them in love, right? So so, for example, child abuse is sort of like the antithesis of respect for a child, right? right? Where uh, a father or mother abuses his or her authority um, and, and ends up hurting a child rather than respecting that, that child's otherness right, and personhood by honoring and caring for them, you know, even in the midst of discipline or difficulty or argument. Right. I was just thinking um, 
because that's something I've talked to my kids about is, look, the authority is not, again, not so that you bow down before me and do whatever I say. The authority is given to me for your sake. And in other words, and I've talked to them about it. I mean, it's, it's for your sake that I'm saying you probably shouldn't do this or you need to follow through with that because that's what's the right thing for you. Not because I'm right. in charge, but because I've been entrusted with you and I'm a steward um, and somebody, I guess, using apprenticeship, I'm, you're one of my, you're an apprentice. And I think that you need to follow through with that promise or do this thing, or does that kind of jive with what you're thinking? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like being a football coach, right? right? Yep. Or being, say, a, a, you know, like a military commander or something. If you're a soldier and your general is incompetent and is making bad decisions in terms of strategy, you're going to suffer loss because right. of that. Right? <laughs> or, if, or if you're a really good football player but your coach is totally incompetent, yep. you're not, you're not going to win the game. Absolutely. Um, and winning the game is not about g- giving glory to the coach, right? Right. It's about the team winning the game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if we exercise our fatherhood or motherhood in a way that is appropriate and competent, then it, that means the child is going to win. Right. And that, and that, they're going to do great. And I think if you, as a parent, I mean, at least I've found it, if I'll have the conversation with them, maybe not in the heat of, of that discussion, maybe, but point them back to the fact that, look, this authority has been given for your sake. Not, I'm not in charge for me. I'm doing this for you. And then be able to point out the fact that, look, like a coach, I'm meant to show you how to do it, but then I've got to let you go out there and play. And you're going to make mistakes and, and, and you're going to do well. And I'm going to watch out, but I'm going to let you do it. And then you're going to come back to the sideline <laughs> and we'll walk through. That's that kind of ongoing full um, ongoing not moment to moment but with the bigger picture being i want to put a child out that is going to go out and like you said be virtuous and then carry me and more importantly carry god forward into this culture yes yeah Yeah. no and it's exactly true i mean whether it be from you know teaching a child how to walk and you know allowing him to wobble around and fall down a few times or, or whether it be you know uh allowing a teenager to make mistakes and learn right. from learn from those mistakes, right? That parenthood is, is an exercise in letting go. Yes. Right? And, and sort of allowing your child to kind of get out there into the world, which, you know, is, is beautiful but dangerous. And, uh, you know, we're not going to agree with every decision that they make, and, and they will make mis- mistakes, but hopefully they'll learn, they'll have picked up enough wisdom Right, right. Uh, along the way, that they'll be able to uh, recover from whatever errors they. Well, I know as a, as parents, you know, with the older kids, it's been I they're they've made choices that were not necessarily mine. But the neat thing is, is that still at twenty two and twenty, they'll come back and talk to me about it. Now, I don't may or may not carry the same weight as it did when they were twelve, but um, sure. but I think you want that to happen. So I think we're I think we're yeah we're we're kind of drawing. Cl- close to the time that we um, said we'd have you on, Mark. I, I really appreciate it. If I can ask you one last question, um, sure. just in verse 14, it, in my translation, it says, kindness to a father will not be forgotten. It will serve as a sin offering. It will take lasting root. Now, that idea of a sin offering might be a little foreign to to some of us. What is the 
what's what's the author have in mind there in the in the Jewish context, and how does that still apply to us today? Sure. Well, it, uh, so under the old covenant, there are several different kinds of sacrifices, and a sin offering is one of those, uh, which is meant to sort of redeem uh, sins that you've committed. Right. So you'd offer it after having committed a sin. Uh, but this goes along with the idea that we saw in verse 3, right? Whoever honors his father atones for sin. Yeah. And I think, you know, this connects with our Catholic understanding of justification across the board, that when we do righteous deeds, whether it's serving the poor or honoring mom and dad or, uh, you know, praying or whatever, whatever we're, whenever we do righteous deeds, they don't just sort of fall to the ground like dead leaves. Hmm. Rather, they're caught up in something bigger, right? They're caught up in Jesus' redemption of the world. So that when we do a righteous act, it doesn't stand by itself as just a kind of random event in the history of the planet, mm-hmm. but, but rather it participates in the redemption of the world, right? So that when we honor our fathers and mothers, right, we are uh, actually atoning for our own sins in a certain sense, right? Obviously, it's a participation in Jesus' death on the cross, mm-hmm. but, but we're actually participating in redemption. We're not just sort of standing on the outside looking in. So yeah, ever- that's just beautiful. That's I, beautiful. I do, and I think it's important to point back, because you can't get in the grind every day of all the, of all the things that have to happen, the discipline, the correction, the, the, the logistics, just everything, <laughs> And to remember that, that, that there's meaning to all Everything. of that yes. and, and that we don't lose sight of that because you can get caught in the drudgery or the rep, re- repetition. And if we don't make that connection with when you honor me, when I honor you as my wife, when I take care of you, when I correct you, all of those things together have tremendous meaning in the scope of where we are. Yeah, so, yeah, these things are suffering, right? These yeah. are sufferings, even if they're self-imposed. Seemingly. Right. They're a kind of suffering, and this kind of suffering can be redemptive. Yes. Right? It, it's, a, it's an act of actually participating in my own salvation, of atoning for my own sins, right, by undergoing the suffering joyfully, cheerfully, willingly, you know, uh, with love as my aim. All of all of these difficulties, whether it's driving the kids to innumerable soccer practices, right. or disciplining them, or correcting them, or paying for their education, all of these sufferings uh, can be caught up in Christ's act of redeeming the world. And you you keep saying can be caught up. How can we make sure, or at least attempt to make sure that we are allowing it to be caught up? Yeah, well, I think the easiest picture maybe to paint is in terms of sickness, right? Yeah. There are two different kinds of sick people, in, in my experience, right? Or two different ways in which people respond to being sick. There's some people that just get frustrated and mad right. that they're sick or have some sort of problem, right? And, and you go visit them in the hospital, and they're just kind of angry and complaining about the doctors and nurses and the difficulty and how much pain they're in. And it's just kind of like another excuse to develop a laundry list of complaints. Mm-hmm. That is not the approach we want to take right. <laughs> to suffering, right? The other kind of sick person is that person who they become really, really sick. They're in a lot of pain. You go visit them in the hospital, and it's like visiting an angel, you know? Right. Like, it's almost like they've seen a vision of God or something, and all of the suffering they're, they're experiencing is transforming them and making them holier and stronger and a more loving person. That's yeah. what we want to be like, right? That's like Christ. Right. Where we're allowing 
the sufferings that we experience and undergo to transform us and make us more like him and, and, and conform us more to his cross and resurrection. So, and as we do, so as we receive those sufferings, right, rather than grumbling and complaining about them, we're receiving them with a kind of joy and a kind of love and a kind of hope uh, that transforms those difficulties into opportunities right, to, right. to grow more like Jesus. That's outstanding. I, I do think that is so critical as parents to, to really think about that and ask for the grace and make, the, make a morning offering and, and ask for the grace to recognize that those times that maybe the kid's getting in the way or, or, or whatever that's bothering you, that those are those opportunities that God, you, that same thing that could cause you frustration can also be something that if embraced and offered with Christ's sacrifice. So, that, wow, Mark, it's been yeah, it's, it's been awesome. so good having you on, and you have have really shared some some great insights into this piece of scripture. And I hope that we can make arrangements to have you have you back come back and and delve more into the Old Testament and and parenting. Okay, great, great, and, yes, that'd be great. Thanks so much, and have a great hey, semester. Thank you, and hey, t- tell right. tell uh, Doug and and Tim hello for me. All right, I will. All right. I will. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. God bless. Right. God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. Well, I know I know uh, that was really great. I, I, I think we kept him on longer than... Yeah, he did, but he was, to, but, <laughs> but he was enthusiastic and happy to do it. Which is great. I, I mean, I just, we don't have very much time left, but I mean, the, the, um, the reality is, is that what he said there at the end, be familiar with you know, how do we do this? Be the example, particularly as you're younger, you do have your mom and, I mean, if you're blessed to have your mom and dad mm-hmm. or, or one or the other around, you know, live that out so that they can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, the other thing I thought of is authority and the idea of authority and the fact that you you have to embrace the authority. You are an authority over them. Yeah. And you, and you need to c- claim that. But I think you also need to do it a little bit different than maybe the world does it. Don't lord it over them. No. As Jesus said, show them that you're here to walk them along, but my authority is to keep you right. kind of headed the right direction. Right. And if you need to be turned around, to turn you around. Right. So. And what St. Paul said about, uh, you know, parents don't um, don't provoke your, your right. children. Right. I, I just think that, that if we can learn, learn from that. But then at the end, I, like I said, just don't waste an opportunity to offer up what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, and I think in honor of Stephanie, I think verse 14 is a great uh, memory verse. So Sirach 3 verse 14. 14. Kindness to a father will not be forgotten. It will serve as a sin offering. It will take lasting root. That it's it, everything has meaning. Everything right. is a, is a particip. It can be a participation in Christ's redemption yep. of the world. Well, I know we're, we are, drawing to a close. So thank you all for listening. Hope this was helpful. We'll try to get Mark back again. And um, always remember, uh, pray, parent with purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will. God bless you guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.